Uh, this week, um, we're going to talk about, if you want to go there now, Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. We've been engaged in it for a few weeks. We're going to continue on again until Easter in the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot to talk about. Lots of your questions will not be answered, uh, but we will come back to them again. Um, you, can, you can text us. You can write emails. You can mail something, whatever, with questions as well as we kind of work through this together. Some of your questions will not be answered today. I will bring some things up at the end about anger and adultery and divorce, and you will leave wanting, and you will leave worried, and you will leave anxious, and you will, you know, and I'll just say, see you next week, all right? And it'll be great, okay? Uh, no, but we won't answer all those questions. I hope that we get to a level where we, we begin to talk about them, though, and we begin to dialogue about what it means for us uh, as people trying to follow the Savior, Jesus, our King. And we've been talking about that for weeks. Matthew is really about the King and his kingdom and how we as kingdom and king followers live in that kingdom. That's what we're talking about. That's kind of the theme of the whole book of Matthew. Um, he's presenting, uh, Matthew is, uh, the story of Jesus, uh, his, his perspective of it, and he is sharing with us what it looks like to have Jesus as the king, what the kingdom looks like. And Jesus will say this many times about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And then how do we live as kingdom followers in that kingdom? So Matthew really talks a lot about that, especially the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this has been very hard for me. Even this week, um, I found it a struggle to work through these few verses in chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. But really, you can look all the way through 48 we won't read it quite yet, but we'll get there in just a moment, all right? Uh, and so it's, it's a struggle because I realized how much um, work that God has to do with the history of my Christianity following Christ. And we'll talk about that as well in just a moment. So this uh, past couple weeks... The Winningham family, um, and so I, I say their name because thank you to them. Uh, many of you do a lot of things around here to help us out. There's a lot more, but thank you for all that you guys do. It's fantastic. And as we, over the next year or so, pursue what's next for us as far as a building, um, we're going to need a lot more help. But they came in, uh, this dad and, and his boys, I don't know how much of the family was there, but they filled in. Um, all the potholes out in the driveway. So I, I've driven down there a few times, and I'm like, wow, my truck's not feeling like it's going to fall apart, you know? Um, and uh, they filled in all the holes, you know, as many as they could. It was really awesome. Um, and I, I was thinking about that a little bit uh, concerning my walk with the Lord over the past, you know, 20, 30-plus years, 40 years, whatever. And... And how much I have uh, like potholes and ruts in my thinking about God and following him. So one of the things that will happen as we look through this together is we're kind of filling in those potholes and ruts so that we can have a smooth path um, to kingdom living. Not smooth making it easy, but smooth because we've got a lot of things that really give us misunderstanding and, um, you know... Uh, really mess up our interpreting of scripture and then, then all of that determines how we live. So those are going to be a couple points in just a moment, not yet. Uh, for me, um, following Christ, why this becomes so hard even for me is, so I don't know if, this if, if you relate to this, but things were my reading of the Bible when it started and then my, a lot of my upbringing in the church uh, was really based upon rules to keep, not a relationship with Jesus. Even though often I was told about a relationship with Jesus, but the rules became greater than, bigger than. I don't, does that make sense to any of you at all? And even though I'm hearing the right things, I was not able to live the right way. Now, live the right way in a relationship with Christ, but I was never able to keep up with everything that I was told I needed to do to gain God's approval. Even if the words weren't actually said from the pastor's mouth or the youth pastor's mouth or the person that was engaging with me. So there's a lot of should have, um, 
ought to's. And here's what was interesting. As I became a youth pastor, so the sad thing, I've shared this with some of you before. The sad thing is I carried a lot of this into, my, into ministry as a, as a teacher and a pastor. The bulk of it being a youth pastor. So that, that kind of filters into, feeds into what I'm teaching the youth. So I tell them about a relationship with Jesus, but a lot of it became about the rules. And I noticed something after a long period of time, and I think it's even a rut and a pothole in my life um, still, is it became these questions. And, and some of it will come up uh, today, but we won't talk about it. We will come back to it concerning, say, when you hear the words like adultery, and, and Jesus talks about it, he'll say, so I'm kind of jumping ahead. I'm going to come back to this, but I'm, I'm all over for just a minute. But he'd go, you've heard it said this, do not commit adultery. And then he'll say this word over and over again, but I say, and then he takes it to a deeper level. He says, don't commit adultery. That's what the law says. But even if you look at a woman lustfully, you know, you've already committed sin in your heart. You might as well. He'll say things, crazy things like this hyperbole that says like, just gouge your eye out or cut your arm off or do whatever, right? Now, we're not supposed to do that. We, none of us would see, we wouldn't have any appendages, you know, it'd be, <laughs> am I wrong there? Am I, am I missing something? Let's just be honest, okay? If you're a kid in here, you'll have to ask your parents later all these, I'm sorry, but okay. This is truth, right? If we're going to, if we're not going to, and this is the beginning of so we're only going to touch the surface, right? So here's the question that would come up often from the youth. This is what really bothered me. This is what I have as a, as a groove, as a rut that's got to be filled in as a pothole. Uh, and that is, it was always seemed to be about to me when they, the questions would be asked, um, how far can I go before it's sin? And what can I get away with till it's bad. I don't know if that makes sense to any of you, if you deal with that. Here's what I was reflecting on this week. This is why it bothers me about myself is because there is still some of that in me. So if I just disappointed you as a pastor, uh, welcome. It's going to get worse too. I will disappoint you even way more. <laughs> if you're online, if you've never come here before, you may not even want to try. I don't know. Okay, so I, this, this, when I read the same thing that you read, this, it just, it impacts me greatly. Some of it, the beauty of it, I'm going to try. It has been, because just new things open up and you want to dig a little deeper. I'm going to try to navigate it with you. Well, I'm going to navigate it with you, but I'm with you, all right? When you read these things, and they're hard. Just like the disciples would say 2,000 years ago, this is hard stuff, Jesus. And many of them would run away. Yes, it's hard. It is good. Uh, we need this, all right? So I would read the Bible as this. And what, what happens is we believe, I, I believe, um, and we're prone to believe that purity and approval come from what I do. Now, we need Faith and belief go together, right? Doing and believing, all this go together. So we're not excusing any of that. There's depth behind all this. So skin, skin, sin is not excused. But it's not just about what I do. It's also who I am becoming. Being. So now Jesus dealt with this 2,000 years ago. And before that, it was a problem. And it's still a problem today. The religious leaders would teach, I brought this up last week, God's law. God's law was good. We'll talk briefly about that. 613 rules. I am in the midst of uh, just going to hit Leviticus right now. And it's like, what? Really? What? It, what? You know, stuff. So they'd take those. They would add, I told you last week, over 1,500 additions. They'd try to fix it, correct it, and have to add something because we'd want to change it. You know, I want to get away with that. They, they do that, all right? I've been to Israel a ton, and I see this in action even today. Now, 
that doesn't mean they were all bad either. Some of them would follow it with a true heart to be close to God. So there's a depth there, a heart there that they wanted to know God. So they would stick to this very tightly. Others were hypocritical. That's all they cared about. Okay, so Jesus shows up on the scene. He's a rabbi. He goes through his teaching and schooling. He knows all this. He's been taught all this. And they criticize him. You'll see this. We've already seen it. We'll see it over and over again in the Gospels. They criticize Jesus um, because they're saying he's getting rid of the law and that he came and he disregarded it, saying it's irrelevant for today and claimed that he's the new thing, which I'm going to tell you that he is. <laughs> uh, and so what are their, what's their answer? Kill him. This is, this is the gospel. This is what the story writes, all right? Okay, so Jesus now is here on earth 2,000 years ago, and he comes, and he's presenting this. He's, he's going to a depth and a level that they really needed to. He's, he's gonna do all these amazing things, and he says these words in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he's now told us as he's gathered his disciples and people on the hillside, he sits down to teach them. They come around him, those that wanted to be close and hear his words. He shares the Beatitudes, and we said, the first Beatitude, my need for God is the filter that we look through for the rest. I have to start there. I need him, I need him, I need him, or none of this works. Or you could do it on your own, good luck. That really does not work, okay? You've tried, I've tried. We're gonna keep trying probably until we fill that rut in, that pothole, but, Right? And so there's all this, and we learned that you're blessed in all these things. You should read them over and over again. There's beauty in it. He'll tell right after that, he just said, and there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict when you try to live this way, live life this way. There's going to be conflict because you're living life the Jesus way, and you're going to get persecuted because you're trying to live the Jesus way. That happens right here in the Rogue Valley, and it's going to happen in the Middle East, and it's going to happen when we go to Greece to see about this, you know, Arab-speaking opportunity that uh, we have for uh, our Jordan pastors uh, to meet the um, needs of the uh, refugees and on and on. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be conflict in it. And by following that, living this way, even in the conflict, he said, we said this last week, you're going to be salt and light. You're going to have this kind of flavor to the world. You're going to add it to the world. You're going to be these kinds of things, and you're going to be light of Jesus. And people are going to see it and be drawn to it because you live this way, not by keeping a bunch of rules. But we still try today. And then what we do is we expect everybody that's not a Christian to live by the rules. It's just ridiculous to me. But guess what? I do it. I still struggle with it in my own personal life. God, if I could just do better, you would approve me. You would love me more. God, I, you know, if I could just stop being this way, acting this way, saying these things, then you'd love me and care for me better. And then this wouldn't happen. Then we start thinking that, that even our prayers, now there's something to this, so I'm not excusing it completely. But then if I wouldn't have done that this week, he would have done this. He would have answered this prayer. Then everything would be good. And then it's all based upon what you do, not what he did. That is exhausting. I'm exhausted just sharing that with you. <laughs> I need to take a nap right now. Like this. And yet here we are. Because some of you came today and you're exhausted, man. Tried this week and it didn't work. All right. So Jesus comes and he says these words to try to establish the smooth path. John the Baptist, I love the scripture, says that he was this voice in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Some of the scriptures will talk about filling in the potholes, making a smooth path to point to Jesus. This is all that. This is what I need, you need, but a world that doesn't know him needs. And there is a lot to this. We're only gonna scratch the surface. So he says to the people in this teaching, 
Don't misunderstand why I have come. He lays it right out in the beginning. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law. I'm not excusing sin. I'm not saying it's not important. No, he says, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Okay, this is the Torah. We'll come back to this, the Torah, the law. All right, no, I came to, what's the word there? Accomplish. I came to accomplish their purpose. There's a reason. I came to accomplish it. I'm it. It's all about me. I'll tell you the truth. Till heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So there's something that's going to happen that completes it. Ignore, this is the tough part, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys, the, obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, this is the really hard part. And there's a misunderstanding, so Jesus comes to correct it. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, the 613 laws, the 1,500 additions, all the corrections to God's law that they made up, fixed, and tried to adjust and do, Right? Unless you are greater than them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And when I read that when I was younger, when I hear it even today, it feels for a moment hopeless. I got to be greater than them. And Jesus' answer is yes. So let's talk about that for a minute, all right? Are you really like depressed now? Really discouraged? Are you just like, ugh, I need a drink, man. What happened? <laughs> That's, I, that didn't, I, I don't know what, the, of coffee. I mean, of, sheesh. <laughs> the words of my, ma, uh, this, there's scripture about that, I don't know. Ugh. All right. So Jesus comes, in your notes there, Jesus comes to correct a misunderstanding uh, about the heart of God and his word. So right out of the gate, he says, I think you guys have misunderstood, right, misinterpreted who God is, who we are in him, and how we are to live. So one of the things that Jesus does with the Beatitudes, with the Sermon on the Mount, and all of his other teaching, but not just teaching, his obedience, right, and the depth of it, and then the way he lives this out, he is correcting a misunderstanding concerning God, his heart, he's revealing God's nature, who he is, what he does. He has already, as we learned last week, correcting misunderstanding about who we are in him. You are of great value because he calls you salt and light. That is huge. You are something special. Apart from him, you're nothing. But with him, wow. I started watching this documentary about Mr. Rogers. Have you seen that? It, it just in the beginning, I'm only a half hour in, so I don't know if it's going to take an ugly turn or not, but it's Mr. Rogers, man, amazing. This pastor, and he just wanted kids to know, like, who they are in God, and he would do it in some creative ways for that time, but man, I'm telling you, his heart for them, awesome. Jesus comes. This is even greater than to reveal the truth about God and who he is and who we are in him and then how we are to live because he realizes after so long, people are just not living right. This is the conflict he would have. This is the persecution that would come because he would do these very things. And it would create problems and he would step people and he would begin to try to correct them by his teaching and obedience. Right in there it said, teach and obey, teach and obey. So Jesus enters into the lives of people, many of them who didn't get any 
like recognition from the Pharisees and teachers of religious law. And he would step into their lives, the prostitutes and tax collectors and evil sinners, they would say, you eat with them. And he would go, you bet I do, because I am coming to correct a misunderstanding and misinterpretation of God and his word and what he says about them. And he would speak life into them. He would speak love into them because he would show who God is to them. And then he would tell them at times, now go live, go live this out. Go share it with someone else. So this Sermon on the Mount is so important because it's gonna teach these very things. Why does this matter? Why does this make a difference? Why is this important? Because how I read the story of the Bible determines how I live the story of the Bible. This determines everything. How I read the Bible, we'll talk about this in just a moment, determines how I live it. So it's important. It's going to determine how I looked at the next six things after these few verses, so 26 to 48, the end of chapter 5. You're going to read some heavy things. This right here determines how I look at that and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and all of other Jesus' teaching and the whole Word of God. This is like that filter to look through. And it, it's how I look at it. So let me talk about Jesus in the Bible just for a moment. This is only going to probably stir some things up, maybe get you thinking about some things. Jesus in the Bible, the law. So when we talk about this, up to that time, let's correct something. There was no, quote, New Testament yet. I don't even like Old New Testament except for our conversation. It's the scriptures. It's the Bible. Together. They all, they all it's one, Right? Now, there are distinct things and parts, and it's filled with poetry and illustration and stories and, I mean, lots of law and all of this. So it's important to understand. But up to that point, Jesus had the law and the Torah. That's what he learned. You know, he had this whole, he's at that point, and behind him, he had the Scripture. That's the Scripture for him. So the main portion being the law or the Torah. And then the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, right? So Jesus would come and he would teach us with great authority. Look at these verses. I added a couple verses. I don't know if they're in your notes, but super important as I was digging into this. So Matthew 7, 28 through 29. This is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at what happens. He's taught all this. He's teaching the Torah and the law. He's given the true heart of it. And it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds, what were they? They were amazed. What? They're just like, you know, we said this before. Their minds are blown. They can't believe that. What in the world did we just hear? Why did this penetrate me deeper than anything has before? Why is this mattering to me? Why is this stirring my heart? Why is this like rising up in me even though it was really hard? Why is this so important? What? I'm amazed. They're amazed. They've heard all the law and the Torah for years from religious leaders. They have been bombarded with it and burdened with it for a long time. But there's something new about this rabbi who comes along and says, some of it, please hear. You have heard it said, you're going to read this this week because read the rest of chapter 5. And then he'll go, but I say, and the but I say part, the, to be honest with you, it's way harder if you're going to look at it for a law to keep. Don't commit adultery. That's, that's a law even today, really. Everybody knows that, even though it's done. Jesus says, don't even look at a woman lustfully. That's harder. Come on. That's harder. And yet it says they were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with what? Real authority. There's something different about him. There's something that's impacted me greater, even though it seems so much harder. And it says they, that he was quite unlike their teachers of religious law. He teaches all this, and the people go, we're amazed. Why? Because he's got real authority. He teaches this way. There's something about him, something that just caused me to be drawn to him and want to be around him, even though it's really hard what he's saying. 
And it's different. We've heard some of this stuff, but it's different. When I go to the doctor, I want a buddy. I've told you this before, I think, too. I want a friend. I want to feel like when I walk in the room, Dr. Charles, I'm the only one that matters in your life. I'm your only patient. Hug me. Okay? Give me a little gift or candy afterwards. All right? Speak kind to me. Pat me on the head. Tell me how awesome I am. But when it comes to my health, you better just lay down the law, man. I need someone with real authority. Bedside manner at that point does nothing for me. So even my doctor right now, I've, I've told him those very words. I said, just act like my friend for about an hour. You can have 50 other friends, but at this moment, I am your best friend. <laughs> but tell me my problems. Give me the truth. I want to live a good life. So it's hard, and it's, it, but it draws me to him. Not just the buddy part, but the real, like, Ron, you need to stop doing this. You need to eat this way. This is a problem. We're going to figure this out. We're going to dig a little deeper. Yes, I like that. And they see this in Jesus. He taught this with real authority. People were amazed. And this angered the religious people. Jesus loved the law. He constantly will breathe life into it. He will teach us that we should read it, study it, memorize it. He did all of that. He trusted the Father like we need to through it. He fought Satan, we learned with it. And even as he would die on the cross, we'll get there when we head towards Easter, Jesus quoted from the law many times. So he never abolished it or got rid of it. But he offered a new radical approach to it, which we just read in 17 through 20. And here's what's interesting. He, that he is the new way. The better words are the new covenant You are the one, he'll tell the people. I mean, I am the one that you have been looking for. Okay, go Old Testament now. We still got time. Jeremiah 31, 31, all right? Let's read this. Okay, so Jesus, uh, God, uh, he creates the law. He's pointing people to him. He's created a way for them to be close to a holy God through sacrifice and covenant and all these things. There's just a lot to it, right? And then the people still rebel. So he offers these words. Man, I've just skipped the gigantic portion of the story of God. But he offers these words in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. This is a prophetic word about what is to come, Okay? The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. There's a giant chunk of the story of God right there. I did this great thing. They wouldn't follow me. I'm going to do something new. Listen to some of this new stuff, right? Brought them out of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Here it is. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their what? That is awesome. This is what people longed for and wanted. This is a new covenant. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Relationship. Ooh. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And then what does he say? Unlike all the stuff that they had to do before, 
Though they even broke it, look at what he still says. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Jesus shows up and he is proclaiming by the way he lives and what he says that he is this new covenant. That, of course, angers the religious leaders. We've had these people bound by the law for a long time. And now something new has come where they will write it on their hearts. All right, let me walk through those four verses again that we went earlier. I'm just going to give you some thoughts. And, uh, and then we're going to have to just dig even deeper into this. So Jesus comes and proclaims through these four verses, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, um, that he is that new covenant. The reason they're amazed is because he is that new covenant because it's not something superficial on the outside. It is spoken to their hearts. It is deep within them. It resonates with them. And God's forgiveness will be greater than any blood of a bull or any sacrifice could have done. Jesus will be that sacrifice. This is Jesus. So Jesus' words, verse 17, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets to accomplish their purpose. One word to keep in mind with that is fulfill accomplish. The Bible to Jesus is pointing to and all about him. When you look back and ahead, it's all about Jesus. Fulfillment to complete, accomplish, bring into being that which was promised. Jesus fulfills, he is declaring here in these verses, historically, theologically, morally, all what the law and the prophets anticipated, predicted, and taught. Jesus is saying in this one verse, this is all about me. When we read the law, when we read what I'm, or you know, listen to what I'm gonna tell you, when we read it in the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about me. It's fulfilled in me, historically, theologically, morally. The law takes on the face of Jesus. Jesus will claim that he and he alone could tell what the Old Testament really meant, the law. He and he alone could provide the correct interpretation. He said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I have come to do this. He said, I'm gonna reveal to you who God is how God acts, what he's like, how he feels about you and who you are in him. This is important when we read these words. So he came to fulfill that, accomplish that, complete that, and accomplish their purpose. The purpose of the law was not to just, I mean, man, this is Romans, this is a lot more. We don't have time for it all today. But the purpose of the law was to point to him anyways. And he says, I came to accomplish their purpose. So we read it in light of Jesus, all right? We have to look at all these next things in light of Jesus. Verse 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail, you'll see tittle, weird word to say out loud at church, I don't know why, but uh, dot, Think of like there's some uh, in the Hebrew language and writing, there's these tiny little things that if you miss it, leave it out or whatever, it can change the whole meaning of something. Think of like a dot on an I. It's that tiny. It says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail, this little tiny thing even of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And this is accomplished, the word is. Jesus believed in the law. He believed in the word of God, that it was scripture, that it's human and holy, that it was inspired by God. And here's the biggie, that it's all true. So when we read it, he says, I believe in the scripture as a whole. I'm living it right now, but all everything past, you are to take it seriously. You are to look at it, but look at it in light of me. What I bring to the table, who I am. And he says, if you, if you even change the smallest little thing, then you're changing everything. So when we read God's word, 
we understand that, believe, that Jesus believed that it was true and real for us, but that everything would go through him. So again, there's a lot more behind that. We're going to keep coming back to these things. Verse 19. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, so this is that way and teach. There's an element there. If you ignore the least commandment, teach others to do the same, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is important for us to remember. The word is obey. God is teaching us, Jesus is teaching us that the word of God is something to live out, to follow, and to teach. He shows us the importance that it's a connection to a relationship with God. But how we read it then matters, right? So if you read it, let's think about that, in the form of this is my relationship with God, and you read it like I got to do these things so God will love me and approve of me, and you do that apart from Jesus, then that's what you got. Good luck. There's probably barely anybody in this building that hasn't already failed. And so your interpretation of that, the misunderstanding is I'm out. I'm out. But if you look at a relationship through, with God through Jesus, then you go back to Jeremiah 31. That changes everything. You see, these li- you change one little thing, and it changes everything. That's why this is so important. Following God matters now and, he says, right in there, for eternity. This isn't just something for us to do today. So some people go, I don't have a good life, or I just want to have a good life, so I got to live good today. And that'll mean, that means I have a good life. That's, does that work that way? No. Right? I helped an old lady across the street. That was that thing back in the day. If I could just do that enough times, I'm in. Good luck with that. I've been opening so many doors for years for ladies at the post office, and I still haven't got it. I mean, you know. This, this matters. So how I, obedience Jesus does not say, don't follow the law, nothing's, it's all irrelevant. He says, no, obey. He just takes it to a level that's much deeper. This is important, but it now determines how I look at everything else. Okay, last verse, then a couple thoughts. Verse 20, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a heavy statement. The word is inward. Or you could put in their heart if you want something that maybe resonates more. Jesus says the Bible to him is something we need to read, study, understand, debate, reread, wrestle with, so that we can get to the heart and soul of it. Matthew 23, 1 through 4, for the sake of time, write that down if it's not in your notes. Go there. Just read all of 23. Jesus will confront, and we'll get to this, just it's gonna be like in the summer or something like that. (laughs) Read it ahead of time, okay? Matthew 23, he's gonna confront the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's gonna tell them, you know what? You're a bunch of whitewashed tombs, fences. You're covering up the truth. You're hypocrites. He's gonna lay it out. There's something much deeper. You're more concerned with the outward than the inward. Matthew 23, he confirms. The the internal matters. Here's one of the things that I think Jesus is saying. So you can apply it today to whoever your guru is, (laughs) your pastor, your person that you listen to most on a podcast, where you get your teaching from, what books are you reading, if you're going to pick someone to follow other than Jesus, you know what Jesus is saying? Then you need to be greater than them. If you're going to pick someone to follow other than Jesus, then be greater than them. So I don't know who you follow, who you listen to, 
If it's me, it's easy for you to get better then, okay? <laughs> but it's me. Like, there are people that I listen to that I really love, you know, to, to glean from, to get taught from. I remember when I first, if you know this guy, read, I've shared this, I think, with you too, A.W. Tozer. I read the intro to his book, and it was something like, he says, like, if I don't pray for two hours a day just to get the day going, then I am not, I'm kind of paraphrasing, I am nothing before God, and I cannot function. I'm like, I, I got two minutes today, but what, here's the problem. I'm always looking to strive to be more like A.W. Tozer. If that's how I'm going to filter my life. So Jesus says, if you're going to follow the law the way the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders teach it, then you need to be greater than them. Or you could follow me and I will teach you the real depth of what God and his word means. So you choose. He even lets you choose. Right? I believe there's this element of he picked us, he sp- I, I get all that, but he gives you, it's an invitation to come follow me. It's a misreading to think that we must do more when really we must trust more in the work and righteousness of Jesus. That's what we're going to learn how to do. We can never measure up. But here's what Yancey was bringing out. His book, he's got a book on Jesus that's awesome. But we don't have to. We are judged by the righteousness of Jesus, not our own. (sighs) Right there, when we sing a song like 10,000 Reasons, that's one thing that I could just praise him for. God, thank you that this week, today, you are not judging me by my righteousness but you are judging me through the righteousness of Jesus. Your son, my savior, who died, was buried, and rose so that I could have a new life. Because I've tried to do it on my own apart from him, and I am hopeless, and it is helpless. One of the things, but not the only thing that the Sermon on the Mount shows me, is that I have nowhere to go but to Jesus. If you want to get in, if you want to use that terminology without Jesus, then you better be perfect and better than anyone else. All right. Uh, Matthew 19. 19. Matthew 19. uh, 16 through 26. A guy comes to Jesus, we'll come again to this, but I'm going to read it now. I think it's important. It gives a practical, like many times that he's dealing with this. Someone comes to Jesus and says to him, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And then he says, why why ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. This is a trick question for him. Right? This seems a little odd. But the guy comes and says, I want to do everything right. What do I need to do right? Keep, keep the commandments. Which ones? This is, this is so good. This is youth. To th- how far can I go? What's going to do? What, how, like, what level can I take it? Which ones? You must not murder. He kind of hits some of them that he hits right after uh, verse 20. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look what the guy says. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? And one of the, the stories, I think it might be, I don't know if it's Mark or whatever, says that Jesus looked at this guy, saw his heart, and saw the true depth of that he desired this. He really wanted this. It came from a good heart. I've done them all. I did it. What else you got? Huh? I've been doing this perfectly, he says. 
I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man said. What else must I do? Jesus said, okay, this is the real issue. If you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, this is the biggie, come follow me. Easy. Or is it? I don't know what riches are for you, but then it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved if it's that hard, if this is what's going on? And Jesus looked at them intently, and said, humanly speaking, it is, you know the word, impossible. But with God, all things are, ah, that's good, that's us. 2,000 years ago, it's the same thing. All right. So then, we'll get into this later. Jesus establishes identity, authority, all this that he's kind of laid out. He proceeds to give now an interpretation on six specific case studies, all right? Anger, adultery, divorce, vows, revenge, love for enemies that go like, you've heard it said, but I say, and then he says, based on my authority and in light of my coming kingdom, let me tell you what these laws, these texts from Scripture really mean. He lays these things out. They're the things you're gonna read this week, small group, talk about them. Some of them are gonna worry, what? I've been divorced, and now he says, that's no good, and I'm out. You're going to read these things from the perspective of Old Testament law and not through the light of Jesus. We will come back to these things the Gospel of Matthew. Read them through the light of Jesus. But one of the things that you're going to see is God places high value on people and covenant. So go to marriage. Why does divorce come up? Some of you have been divorced in here. It's very common today. You are not out Okay, you got to look at the depth of the law, but just to help you, free you up for just a moment. But let me tell you this. The depth of it is God takes humanity, covenant, marriage being a covenant, not a contract, very seriously. This goes back to the beginning. Just because something, this will come up in Matthew, I think it's like 19. Just because something is okay to do does not mean it's a good idea to do. So Jesus says, this covenant that we have made and this covenant that represents me, it's a big deal. All right. He points out in these things the deeper problem. Not just do and obey, but something deeper, the sin behind the sin, the real heart issues. So this matters how I read the story and then whose story I follow because we're building character to become more like Jesus. Jesus shapes our whole lives. We're to teach that and then do what Jesus teaches. So that means that we learn what the Torah and the prophets reveal through Jesus. All right, so here's the big thing that I want you to do this week. Worship team can come. All right? This is the hard part. This is, this is the scary part for some. Invite Jesus to work below the surface and change your heart. These things that we will read over the coming weeks are not just about doing and obeying. There's parts to them, of course. But they are the real heart issues behind them. Anger, adultery, divorce, vows, revenge, love for enemies. Like, he won't even mess around. Like, he'll say, quit making oaths and signing things. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing it. Just, this is a biggie. Just let your yes be what? And your no be? But how easy is that for us? I don't, I don't even need to worry about some of the other things. That one right there 
has created more conflict with my spouse <laughs> than anything else. Hey, Ron, let your yes be yes and your no be no, period. Not black and white, not vague, not what we dealt with in sin in the beginning, hiding giant fig leaves over all parts of our life. Jesus takes these things to a deeper heart level that we must deal with. So I just ask all of us, what if, if you want to do this, if you don't, don't. Because if you do though, and you want to become more like Jesus, and you want what he has promised, then this is a prayer that we must pray. Jesus, I invite you into my life, but I want a changed heart. This surface stuff has not worked. I cannot keep up. I am broken. I have tried to stop, like we talk about the porn, the drugs, the alcohol, all the things. I mean, we go down the list, right? And the answer is sometimes from people, just stop doing that. And I'd go, if, that, if it was that easy, then there wouldn't be an issue. But I need Jesus. Jesus, come in. Because some of it is what's behind it. So what Jesus will do is he will constantly go behind it, behind it, behind it. Some of it's identity issues. He's bringing that up over and over again. Some of it's the ruts of religion, the potholes that need to be filled in. Some of you are so tired of religious and church and all this. So am I. I want to be more like Jesus. So Jesus, today, come in and work below the surface. Change my heart. Amen. Stand with me, will you? There's always prayer partners at the back. I'll pray with you. We have communion. So communion is awesome to remember Jesus and what he's done. Now, Matthew 26, he has, he has this meal together with his, his people. He takes some juice and bread and uh, he declares, drink this juice. It's a picture of my blood, my sacrifice. Eat this bread. It's a picture of my body that was given for you. And he'll say these words like we learned in Jeremiah 31, what he's been proclaiming all along. This, it's, we're celebrating the new covenant. That the, the law is still relevant, but only in light of Jesus. So we celebrate that today. Jesus, thank you. I have forgiveness of sin, not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done, and I've invited you in to my life to that, and you've accepted me. So I remember today, you, Jesus, thank you for your blood, and your body that you gave for me.